Well, good morning to all of you. We are going to be, uh, I've been talking a lot on the subject of the church, and we're going to move to the Old Testament and um, trying to draw some lessons from the lives of the patriarchs. So this morning we're going to begin with God's call of Abram. So I, I will tell you to start off with that I'm going to struggle with Abram's name. Um, so God um, called him, and his name was Abram, and at some point later on it changed to Abraham, and his wife's name changed from Sarai to Sarah. And, you know, when people get different names, my, uh, my, uh, my parents named me something, and then they called me something a little different. So my first name is Vincent, and they called me John. And so uh, this became confusing to all my teachers in school when they would read a uh, roll call, and I stopped correcting them at a certain point. And so there's a certain group of people who knew me when I was a lot younger who think I'm Vincent, and there's people who know me now who know me as John, and I'm okay with either one. But if you wrote the story of my life and you called me something halfway through the story, you changed the name and then you called me something different. Um, maybe that's a little bit how we're going to be this morning. So if I call him Abraham, um, just know that I'm just um, human like everybody else. Um, when we lived in Indiana, um, I still delivered babies and I took care of patients in the hospital. And I had a cell phone, um, but um, cell phone coverage wasn't very good in southern Indiana. And so I also had a pager that I carried. And so if there was something going on at the hospital, um, they would um, they would try my cell phone, but a lot of times they, they couldn't get me, not because I was trying to be hard to get, but just because I was in a dead spot. And so um, I would then get a page. My my pager would ring, um, and, um, and then I would um, go and find a place where there was uh, at least a bar of service, and I would call back and see if I needed to go someplace or if they just had a question or what was going on. And, um, and so I don't see many pagers anymore. Somebody told me once, they said, oh, nobody carries pagers except for drug dealers. And I wasn't a drug dealer, but um, I guess... You know, I was the exception that proved the rule. Um, and so as we begin here, we're going to be talking about a call. And um, Abram did not carry a cell phone. This isn't a situation where he, um, he had an um, unknown number appear on his cell phone screen and he, you know, kind of ignored it for a while and just kept calling. And so he popped open his flip phone and here... Um, there's a there's a voice on the other end, and it starts telling him things it wanted him to do. So Abram is a beginning of sorts. So he's the first of his line who was called. And Genesis records that he responded in faith. And as such, there are um, three different faiths that look back to Abraham as their uh, beginning of their faith. So um, Jewish, Muslim, and Christian people all... Um, see lessons from the life of Abraham. So what was his background? Well, his name at the beginning of the story is Abram, which means exalted father. Um, so later on, God would change his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And um, at the beginning of the story, anyway, this seems like a little bit of a joke because Abraham, um, Abram was um, not young. Um, and while he was married, he was father of zero children. And so exalted father, exalted father of what? You know, I can imagine, you know, somebody showing up at his um, 
um, campsite and saying, oh, what's your name? And um, he says, uh, my name's Abram. And he says, say, oh, Abram, um, how many children do you have? And he says, mm, well, zero. However, they would have said that back then. Um, and um, they would have quickly changed the subject, right? This exalted father is father of nobody. His background was polytheistic. So we don't know about Abram when he was a child. Maybe he was the exception. Um, but Joshua in Joshua 24, 2 and 3 says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I, then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. So that kind of summarizes everything we're going to study over the next, um, I don't know how many sermons. So, um, But certainly... It makes it clear, even if Abram was not somebody who worshipped idols, his, his father does. And if you, um, if you read Midrash, so does anybody know what Midrash is? Um, so there's, there, the rabbis wrote stories about the Old Testament characters to fill in the gaps. So you can imagine this is maybe like companions for um, Jewish people. And um, they just, they're like, oh, and when John the Baptist was a baby, you know, and then they told all these wonderful stories. And so, in Midrash, it tells all these stories about how Terah was a priest of false gods and Abram broke into the um, the temple and broke some of the idols and, and convinced his father, you know, these, these idols can't do anything because I broke them and see, they haven't done anything to me. And maybe that's true, but, um, but those stories were written thousands of years after Abram uh, lived and so I don't know that they're particularly trustworthy. Um, Maybe Abram was searching for God um, and realized that the idols were useless. Um, but our text doesn't tell us that. Uh, we know that he was fairly wealthy and that he was from Ur of the Chaldees. Um, this would have been an urban center in the heart of Mesopotamia. Probably a good-sized city for the time. Um, we think um, there were probably about 250,000 people who lived in it. Um, and life there was pretty comfortable. There were probably fewer famines there than in some of the other places in the uh, Middle East because there were two rivers that kind of went around. So you've heard the, the um, term the Fertile Crescent, and that's because there were, there were um, cultures that grew up between these two rivers, the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers, and they had plenty of water for irrigation. Um, we also know that Ur was dominated by a ziggurat, a heathen temple. Um, so a lot of people think the Tower of Babel was this sort of thing. Um, and the point when it talks about the Tower of Babel was not that they were trying to build a skyscraper, um, but it was more that this was a temple where they were trying to, to reach the gods, to, to leverage whatever they could for, for their own power and to remain um, one unit and one people. So we come to the beginning of our story. Abraham... Um, at this point is Abram, and he's wealthy, living in a, a pretty decadent place and surrounded by people who are uninterested in the things of God. And although there are probably still some vague memories of when they did serve God, they, they aren't looking to him. And if this sounds a little bit like modern America, I, I think that's an accurate way to judge it. You know, there's lots of people around us who remember a time when People knew Jesus, when they knew the Bible stories, when they knew 
who God was, and yet most of them are no longer serving him, at least wholeheartedly. And so that brings us to the beginning. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. We're going to read the first 12 verses here, and then we're going to try to break it down and think about what this call means to us and to him. Genesis 12, 1 through 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had all they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed going on still towards the south. So if you read this passage, it sounds like the call came to Abram when he was at Haran. But um, if you look um, in Genesis 15:7, it's um, it says, "Then he, that is God, said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it." Maybe it doesn't seem like a big deal, um, but God called Abram while he was still at Ur. That's why it says. The Lord had said to Abram. So the Lord had already talked to Abram when he was at Haran. And Abram had gotten as far as Haran, which was a little ways, but it wasn't all the way to the land where um, God had called him. And Abram stopped. And he said up there, we don't know what happened. Uh, Maybe Terah was um, sick. Maybe he just couldn't travel any further. Abram thought, you know, this is a good a place as any, and I'm closer to the land than I was, and, you know, I'll just set up shop here for a while. And so we don't know much about this time period, except that it wasn't until Abram was 75 years old that he finally decided to leave for the land that God had called him to. And God often has to call us several times, doesn't he? Uh, The story of the boy Samuel comes to my mind. And Samuel was lying in bed, and we knew that he heard a voice. And he got up. He thought it was Eli calling him. I don't know if the voice sounded like Eli's. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Um, Certainly, I was the only person who ever called Samuel in the middle of the night. And Samuel went to Eli, and he said, here I am. And Eli said, go back to bed. Eli was not in the mood for getting up then, and he didn't understand why Samuel was getting up. And this happened three times until Eli figured out, you know, God must be calling Samuel. And he told him, when you hear that voice again, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. 
And that happened in a very short period of time. But I think that sometimes God has to call us multiple times to get us started. Um, and maybe we start a little bit and we go a little ways and then we sort of say, you know, God, I've, I've, I've answered your call, sort of. Um, here I am. Use me here. And we have heard many times, you probably have heard many times, that to delay is to disobey. But I would say that if you've heard God's call in your life, it doesn't matter what age you are. Abram was 75 years old when he finally made the step to leave for the land. Yesterday's procrastination does not need to affect today's response. In fact, yesterday's procrastination must not affect today's response to God's call. Um, Satan would tell you that you're too old, that you've squandered your ability to respond to God, but nothing is further from the truth. So God calls Abram with a call and a covenant. So when we read in Old Testament times, there are lots of times when we read examples of covenants. These are basically biblical contracts. In the book of Deuteronomy, God set before his people blessing and cursing. And the idea was that if they fulfilled the laws that he had asked them to fulfill, they would receive good things. And if they did not, there was a curse waiting for them. They would actually be removed from the land. They would be judged and terrible things would happen. So typically when you make a contract, it has a list of things that each party promises to do along with penalties if the parties don't live up to their part of the contract. And yet, in these contracts, God basically sets things down. He says, you know, these are the things I will do, and you just sign. Because God doesn't need to have penalties if he doesn't fulfill what he says. His promises are faithful. And yet, at the same time, there was a time in the life of the Jewish people where the Jews considered themselves to be God's chosen people simply because of their genetics. They had parents who were Jews. They were the chosen people, and so they couldn't help but enter in. That's God had called them. And yet, if the Paul call was not personal, was it really a call? And I wonder if a lot of Christians these days feel the same way. They have Christian parents. They've gone to church, and so they are the chosen people. So why did God choose Abraham? When I ask you that question, you probably have certain things that go through your mind. Um, you know, I think that what we think about God's reasons for choosing Abraham um, or Abram says more about us than it does about why he was really chosen. So some people believe that um, God just chose him just because. He drew a name out of a hat, and that's what it was. Um, we know certain things are not true. So first of all, he was not theologically trained. He didn't have huge amounts of knowledge about God. Um, so most of the Bible, most of the Bible, none of the Bible was written at this point. It wasn't like Abram could have studied um, the scriptures and found out things. Um, he wouldn't have known these things. Uh, he wasn't chosen because of his youth and vigor. So... Abram probably had normal energy level, but he wasn't young. He was 75 um, when he left for the land of promise. He wasn't chosen because of his big family. 
So you could understand why God would choose somebody like Jacob who had 12 sons. You know, it makes sense. You know, in the book of Judges, there's people, you know, there's men who had 70 sons. I, I don't know what, uh, what was going on there, but um, Abram had exactly zero children at the beginning of this story. And so God is not choosing Abram because of his huge family. Um, and he was not chosen because of his brilliant intellect and writing abilities. As far as we are aware, Abram wrote nothing down. We have nothing. There's no book of Abram. There's no book of Abraham. All we have is what later people wrote down about him. And yet we get a little hint of this in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. And here God is speaking. It says, For I have known him, that is Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And these are the two things that stand out about Abram. First of all is his faith, his willingness to follow God into the unknown. And the second thing is his leadership, his willingness to order his family and household in accordance with what God asked him to do, even though he didn't always understand why. And Abram wasn't perfect, but he was available and he was wholehearted. And that was the start. So when God calls, God calls away from some things and he calls two other things. And I feel like this is the place for us to begin thinking about this. So God specifically calls Abram away from certain things. He tells Abram that he has to leave his family, his country, and his gods. And I really want to emphasize here that Abram was in a comfortable place here. Um, not comfortable maybe the way that we would think of comfort. So, you know, we're not, um, he didn't have air conditioning. He didn't have a three-car garage um, or um, you know, an automatic dishwasher, although he probably had servants who washed the dishes. But, you know, it's not quite the same thing. Um, but for his time and place, he was in the place that offered him the most comfortable. He probably lived in a house. And God was calling him to something that was not vaguely resembling where he was at. Um, maybe the culture around him wasn't the best, but he was comfortable with that culture. He knew the people, he knew the neighbors, and he got along with them okay. And God was calling him away from all of that. Second Corinthians 6, 14 through 17 says that God calls us away from things too. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And I think as we read this passage, this is God's call to each one of us. He's calling us out from somewhere, and he's giving us a promise. He says, if you will come out, I will be your father, 
and you will be my children. And I think we often read this passage and and just look at it in a a shallow kind of way. We say, oh, you know, this is God telling um, Christian people not to marry unchristian people. Or, Or maybe this is God telling people not to go into business with someone who Um, doesn't share beliefs with them. Um, But I think Paul is drawing a much wider circle of things that he says we need to be careful of. The point is that our aims, our goals, and our focuses are to be Christ-centered. And as such, when we are with unbelievers, if we speak frequently of who we are and who we are serving, it's going to make other people who aren't serving Jesus uncomfortable. And our tendency is just to be quiet, to go along without saying too much. But Paul is saying that we are going to be separate because of who we are serving and because of our desire for holiness. And I think people get screwed up when they think that our goal is simply to be different from the people around us. Um, The point is more that the culture around us is pretty toxic. The issue isn't simply that a lot of media has immodest appearance or bad language or high levels of violence, Um, but the underpinning principles that are present in the world's entertainment just isn't God-honoring. And if we're attempting to follow Jesus completely, we will be different from the people around us. If you read about the early Anabaptists, they were identified as being different from the people around them, not because they dressed differently. They didn't dress differently but they behaved differently. The people who persecuted them had to say, you know what, these are the biggest hypocrites we've ever seen because they seem like they love God. They seem like they are they don't say bad things. They are not immoral. They don't chase after all the things that our church-going people do. But they're heretics. We've got to kill them. And I just, you know... I would pray that God would call us to those lives where we stand out because of our desire for holiness. So God called Abram to certain things. So when he calls us away from things, he doesn't just leave an empty spot in our life. You know, you've heard um, there's a passage where Jesus talked about the man who has the demon cast out of him, and then he doesn't fill that void in his life, and seven more demons move in. And the the state of that man is worse, if it could be, than at the beginning. So God called Abram to a few things. He called him to a land. Um, And this is probably what we think of most when we think of Abram. And this was a theme in the Old Testament. When the Jewish people left Egypt, it was to return to the land. When they disobeyed God, they were removed from the land to Assyria and Babylon. And there was much rejoicing at the end of the 70 years of captivity when they could finally return to the land of Canaan. And we see a measure of Abram's faith that he was willing to accept that this land was better than the land of Mesopotamia, even though he had not seen it. So, you know, if you were deciding you were going to move someplace and you bought a property unseen, you said, I, I don't, you know, it's going to take all my money, but I'm going to buy that because I'm, I have confidence that this is going to be something that I is worth it for me. I can just imagine Abram going to the library in Haran um, and asking for all the clay tablets on Palestine and saying, you know, do you, do you have any geography things? And they say, well, you know, the Palestine section is over there in the corner and there's only two tablets. Two tablets. 
And one of them is about the kind of food. Oh, well, okay. Um, they probably didn't have a big Palestine section. It wasn't a big place. The second thing is God did not just call him to a land. He called him to a life. So this is different from the life that Abram had living in Haran. Suddenly he was not living in a house. He was living in a tent. He never owned land again except for a little funeral plot that we read that he bought from a man um, and where he and Sarai were buried. That was all he ever owned. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 summarizes his faith. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had been if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And this is a challenge. You know, we said Abram was a slow starter. He was 75 when he finally left for Canaan. But he still had 105 years of serving God, of choosing one day at a time to continue to live in a tent, to continue to own no land, to continue to serve God. First Timothy 1, 9 through 11, this is from the Phillips translation, so... Um, Probably none of you have that this morning. Um, it's not a translation. It's a, I don't know, a paraphrase or anyway. So never be ashamed of bearing witness to our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, except as I do all the hardship that faithfulness to the gospel entails in the strength that God gives you. For he has rescued us from all that is really evil and called us to a life of holiness, not because of any of our achievements but for his own purpose. And that is what God has called us to. He has called us to live. A lot of people focus on dying. You know, we Anabaptists are big on their martyrs. Um, used to be, I think, that um, uh, a wedding gift, if you couldn't think of something to give a Mennonites um, for their, uh, um, for a wedding gift, you gave them a copy of the martyr's mirror. Um, and that's a, I guess, a way to while away those long winter evenings. Um, it's like, honey, could you read some more of those martyr stories? Oh, sure, there's more to come. So uh, I don't think many people read the martyr's mirror anymore, but God has called us to live for him. Paul says that we are to bear witness to the gospel, to endure hardship, and to live a life of holiness. And then the third thing, is that he called him to a legacy. So God told Abram that he would make Abram into a great nation. And this wasn't a promise to Abram. We know that when Abram died, he basically had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And so it wasn't that Abram became a huge nation in his lifetime. Uh, you know, if God had wanted to do that, maybe he could have um, put Abram in such a place where he could have overthrown one of the big kings of the 
of the area and he could have founded an empire, but that wasn't what Abram was called to. He was called to something for his children. There's a promise of blessing, and this was not a blessing of Abram. This was a promise that there would be, that Abram would be a channel, that God's blessing would flow through him to other people. And we think of this in two different ways, maybe. Um, of course, Jesus is the name that pops to our mind. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these promises given to Abram. So that when Jesus lived and walked and, and touched the people around him, God's fulfillment of his promise to bless all the nations of the earth through Abram was fulfilled. But I think there's something more than that. Abram's life was also something that blesses us today. So Abram could not have known the ways in which his life and faith would influence the people who came after his time. But if we look in the New Testament, we find that there are two figures that are mentioned more than any other Old Testament figures. One was Moses, who's mentioned 84 times, and Abraham is mentioned 76 times. And so the fact that Abram was willing to walk in faith, was willing to live in faith and die in faith, influences us today and encourages us. So maybe the question is, are you interested in leaving a legacy? You know, most of us aren't going to leave sacks of cash and huge lands for our children, but we can leave a legacy. I remember going to a funeral of a man who, who died in his upper 60s, and different people got up and shared their memories of him. And, and one man got up, and he, he started telling this story of a basketball game that um, this man, I guess when he was in high school, had... Um, had sunk, um, um, well, this would have been two-pointers because they hadn't invented the three-pointers, but he, he sunk three shots in a row to help the, their team win the victory. And this was his memory of, of this man. And, you know, I guess that's a legacy. I don't know if you're remembering somebody as a great high school athlete, but there's something more, isn't there? The decisions that you make today will decide how people speak of you later. The Apostle Paul said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Jeremiah 35, we're not going to read it, but um, it talks about a group of people called the Rechabites. And these were a group of people that their ancestor, um, Jonadab, had asked them not to live in houses and not to drink alcohol. And Jeremiah, the prophet, invited them in. I don't know that he knew this about them. And he offered them wine. And they just looked at him. And then they said, we, for hundreds of years, have followed what Jonadab asked us to do. He said, don't live in houses and don't drink alcohol. And today, we are still following that. 
and we won't drink what you offer us. And God says to them, you will be rewarded. There will be somebody from your lineage who will always serve me because of the faithfulness of this one man who we don't know anything about. So how do we follow in Abraham's and Abram's footsteps today? Um, so we're going to touch on a few different things here. Um, first thing, Abram shows commitment over comfort. So Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he should, would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And Abraham didn't have a GPS. He didn't have a way of knowing where he was going. He just knew that God told him to go. And you go to South Florida, there's, um, there's signs that flash silver alerts. And a silver alert is when um, some older person who probably doesn't belong driving um, um, gets lost. And so you're supposed to put, uh, to put the person's name and their vehicle type and, um, and, um, and their license plate number. And if you see them kind of driving a little too slow in the wrong lane, and you're supposed to, I guess, alert police, and then they will uh, bring them to safety. Um, but Abram wasn't one of these people. He wasn't sort of meandering around in the slow lane between Haran and, and Canaan, not really sure where he was going and, and kind of lost. Um, he just knew that the best place for him to be was in the center of God's will. Abram chose faith over family. So one of the things that we notice in the passage from Hebrews is that Abram lived in the new country as in a foreign land. So in the ancient world, there was no such thing as a passport. You could travel from one place to another, but you had to be pretty careful because there were bandits, there were robbers, and when you got to the new place, the people might not accept you. In fact, they probably wouldn't because you were culturally, linguistically different from them. And they would identify you as strange. Abram's life was lonely. He had Sarai. He had his nephew Lot. And Lot left pretty quickly. Um, and that was about it. I mean, I, I guess he had servants, but... You know, how close can you be with your servants? I don't know. Um, and Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And Jesus calls us to follow him. But he told his followers then, and he tells us today, that following him may mean separation from our family. But the beautiful thing is that although we might lose our earthly family, we gain so much in return. We have a different, a much bigger family. And God told Abram that in him all the nations of the world would be blessed. Abram chose legacy over luxury. And maybe this sounds like the same sort of thing as commitment over comfort. 
But I want to get at something a little different. Abram made decisions not based on how it affected him personally, but how it would affect his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren. And so often people ask the wrong questions. They don't ask the question, how can I bless my children? How can I make a firm foundation for them to build on? Instead, they ask the question, what makes me happy? What makes me comfortable? And is there anything wrong with it? And if there isn't anything that they can find that's acutely wrong with it, they just go ahead. Proverbs 13:27 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Hebrews 11:39 and 40 says, And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should be made perfect apart from us. So Abram did not receive the blessing. He chose a path that led to blessing for others. And so maybe we could ask the question, what are my actions going to do? How are they going to impact the children and the grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren who follow me? I think about the United States debt, and currently the U.S. debt is $31 trillion, um, give or take um, a few billion. Um, And that means that in the United States, every man, woman, and child owes $85,000 in debt. Um, That's a lot of money. I mean, it seems like a lot of money to me. I don't know. I guess to Congress probably doesn't seem like so much. But it bothers me because the people taking out that debt aren't the ones who are going to be paying it. And I cannot imagine going out and taking out credit cards in my children's name, and when they come of age, giving them the credit cards and saying, here, this is my gift to you. And yet so many people through their lives do exactly that. Hezekiah had emissaries from Babylon visit him, and he showed them everything in his palace and all of his armaments that he'd saved up And Isaiah came and told him, you know what? You are going to be judged for this. And someday your children, your grandchildren, whatever it was, a few generations down the line, are going to go as captives to Babylon. He said, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon and nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And Hezekiah's response was telling He said, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my day. That's kind of sad, isn't it? And you say, well, you know, at least it's not going to happen today. We live in a selfish world, a world that asks the question, what makes you happy? What does your heart tell you to do? And we need to ask the question, what will strengthen my relationship with God? and What will point my children in the right direction after me. Susanna Wesley is somebody who you all probably know because of her family. Her children were Charles and John Wesley. Um, She had several other children, lots of other children. Some of them died in childhood, but some of them made it to adulthood, obviously. And she married a not-so-great man named Samuel Wesley. He was a clergyman, 
um, but not a very good money manager. And um, he ended up spending two different stints in debtor's prison, uh, which doesn't seem like a good thing for a, a, a either a pastor or a, a husband father. Um, and more than that, he didn't seem to be a very loving husband. Um, there was one time when he left their home um, for a little over five months because uh, um, apparently this was a point of tension in their house. He would pray for the king, um, which was um, William of Orange, and, and um, Susanna didn't like the king very much. And so she would not say amen at the end of his prayers where he asked God's blessing on the king. And he said to her, he put down the ultimatum, he said, listen, if you don't say amen at the end of my prayers for the king, I'm going to leave home. And he did for five months. It doesn't sound very good, does it? Um, and yet she is known today um, as the mother of Methodism because of the care and love with which she ministered to her children's needs. Um, two of them, John and Charles, are very well known today. And Susanna committed herself to spending at least an hour a week with each one of her children. She said, I am a woman, but I am also the mistress of a large family. And Though the superior charge of the souls contained in it lies upon you, yet in your long absence, so she's writing to her husband, I cannot but look upon every soul you leave under my charge as a talent committed to me under a trust. I am not a man nor a minister, yet as a mother and a mistress I felt I ought to do more than I have yet done. I resolved to begin with my own children, in which I observe the following method. I take such a proportion of time as I can spare every night to this discourse with each child apart. On Monday, I talk with Molly. On Tuesday, with Hetty. Wednesday, with Nancy. Thursday, with Jackie. Friday, with Patty. Saturday, with Charles. And John and Charles were clear that they became the men that they were because of their mother's time and love that she showed to them. The last thing is that Abraham or Abram, chose to bless others, not to receive the blessing himself. So the focus of the reward that God promised Abram was that through him, a blessing would come on all the families of the earth. And I'm afraid too many people come into the church and they wonder why the church isn't meeting their needs well enough. Isn't this a place where I'm supposed to be fed, where other people are supposed to care for me? And they don't ask the question, how can I be that minister of grace to other people? Philippians 2, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So I would like to finish up by saying that Abram responded to God's call. And God calls us to certain things. So when we talk about vocation, vocation is just something that means calling. Okay? It's Latin. So... If you know the, the Spanish word boca, it's the word for mouth. And, um, or you know the word vocalize. It's, it's talking about speaking. And in the same way, your vocation is the thing to which God has called you. And as we practice that thing, whatever it is, 
we are to do it as to him. We are called to follow Jesus. So Mark 1, 16 through 20 talks about calling the disciples. Uh, we are called to abandon darkness and follow the light, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. We are called to give up our own desires, Luke 14, 33. And we are called to live a life of holiness, 2 Timothy 1, 10. And we are called to do this with everything that is in our being, everything, everywhere, all the time, devoted to him. And I'm afraid that so many people have made the Christian life into something that works for you, something that solves your problems, something that eliminates suffering. But when I read the life of Abraham, I don't see this. I see a life that is dominated by a decision to follow without compromise, to walk in faith, to bless others rather than accumulate blessings for myself, for himself. I'm sure there are plenty of blessings on the way. And I don't know what God is calling each one of us to this morning. But what I do know is that there is no blessing so great as throwing ourselves wholeheartedly into the pursuit of Jesus. And the decisions that we make today are going to affect ourselves and our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we admit to you that our faith is weak. We don't follow the way that we should. We are selfish and we like comfort. And yet I pray, Lord, that we could make wise decisions as individuals, as a church, as families, that we would pursue you wholeheartedly in every avenue of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.